0: history buffs. You are listening to Historical Fiction Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past with a different author every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. This week, we're talking to Rosanna M. White. She's a prolific writer of historical Christian fiction. She's written 25 books She also works at Whitefire Publishing. She's an editor. She designs book covers and she homeschools her children. Now, I have to mention here that in spite of all of these things that Rosanna is doing, she's also extremely generous with um, new writers or other writers who might need her advice. She's given me advice and given me time that I just wouldn't expect from someone who's so busy doing so many things and so successful at it. Her latest book is releasing September 8th. It's titled A Portrait of Loyalty, and it's the final book in her Codebreakers series. When I sat down to talk to Rosanna, we hit on a few of her different series and also what her purpose is in writing historical fiction, the theme of this latest book, A Portrait of Loyalty, And um, kind of a lot about her research process also. It's a really interesting conversation, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So let's get to it. Rosanna, welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. Your latest book, A Portrait of Loyalty, is releasing September 8th. What can you tell me about this book?
1: Well, it's about, um, we have a hero who was a Russian cryptographer and then, when the October Revolution happened, he had to flee Russia and ended up in England working for Room Forty, um, which is what the whole series has been about—Room Forty, the code breakers in England during World War One. And then, our heroine is actually a photography expert who has been recruited by the Admiralty to create false photographs and just um, to process all the film coming in from the field and. So they, they end up meeting, of course, and um, offer each other very unique ways of helping each other see the world. Um, at one point, our hero Ziven, it he kind of notices that she helps him see beauty in a world that he thought was just descended into total chaos, and he helps her see patterns in the world. So it. it it's just really fun to explore the way that they help each other balance everything out. But this is all against the backdrop of World War One. It's the close of the war, the last few months of the war. Where we have, you know, huge um, air raids. We have the added um, intrigue of the the Bolsheviks coming to power in Russia. So just a lot of really fun stuff. A lot of tension that gets to come in, and of course perfect timing on this. The Spanish flu
0: hits. Oh yeah. It's that time, that time period. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So I have, I actually read the very beginning of the book and I, with all your books, the ones that I've read have just been so intriguing and mysterious. And um, I found the same thing with this one. I can't wait to get it and read the whole thing um, because the beginning was just pulled me right in and made me curious about what's going to happen. Um so I understand it's the third in your codebreaker series right mm-hmm. yeah. so what can you tell us about this series
1: the series follows um, the intelligence division of the Admiralty in England in third World War one and so in the first part of the war they basically discovered that they could intercept all wireless communications basically from anyone um, so they ended up with all this data that they had to figure out what to do with. So it led to a group called the Code Breakers of Room 40, um, Room 40 being the literal room in the Admiralty Building that they were assigned. So these were people who came from all different walks of life, um, but they had a talent for seeing patterns in things and being able to break codes. Because, um, of course, everything was encrypted that came from, right. you know. German military. So, um, basically it was a bunch of different people with different talents. We had mathematicians, we had linguists, we had musicians, we had, uh, bankers, of really wow. a really very diverse background, but they all came together to work basically to crack German codes every single day and feed the information to the Admiralty who then got to decide what to do with it. So, um, the World War Two counterpart, Bletchley Park, is much better known, but it was founded by the people from Room Forty. They they um, made a cryptography school after World War One. They trained all the people that they then recruited for Bletchley Park in World War Two. So even after World War Two, in the Nuremberg Trials, um, the Germans could not believe that in World War One they were intercepting and cracking all their codes. They just refused to believe oh, it wow. until it finally came out then. So this is stuff that has just been um, kind of released into the, the public domain in the last 10 or 15 years. So it was really kind of cool to realize that this was happening that long ago. And, you know, they yeah. had advancements that intense. Um, so when I learned about it, I was just so intrigued that it was like, oh, I have to write a series about this. Uh, so. <laughs> how did you
0: yeah how did you learn about it and i mean i I would want to write a series about that too if i knew about (laughs) it but how did you find out or first come across that information
1: writing the shadows over england series i had my thieves who had kind of been recruited as agents during the first opening days of world war one so Mm -hmm. when i was looking up you know intelligence during world war one I came across this information and it was just so intriguing. I had to learn more. So I started buying books and reading them and um, you get hints of it in uh, books two and three in the Shadows Over England series. Um, but then it really just becomes the, the full focus of the right in this series.
0: That's so cool. Now, do you have any um, crossover characters in the in the different books in the Codebreaker series Oh, okay. (laughs) So
1: all of my books from Bethany House are in the same story world. So it isn't as though you can't read them individually. And, um, you know, if you haven't read previous books, you're not going to even notice that these characters are there. But Mm -hmm. if you have, they're like Easter eggs. They all keep popping up and, you know. Anytime there's That's, a role that needs filled, I just choose a character I've already invented to fill it. <laughs> so right. it's, it's super fun. And of course, in the series itself, each book has a new hero and heroine. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, you continue to see the characters from the other books in there as well.
0: Right. That's so cool. I love it when authors do that. They bring, bring in characters from other books. So how do these three books the codebreaker series how do they fit together is it just that they are all codebreakers or are there other common threads in in those three books
1: right they're i mean because they're all codebreakers they're all working in the exact you know same place so they're friends um, so we do have that continuing okay. thread of you know they have helped each other and generally what i do is introduce the characters for the next book in, you know, the previous, current, whatever book. So um, my hero in book two was a a big secondary character in the second half of book one. And I did something similar, you know, in book two, I introduced the characters that then become the main characters in book three.
0: Okay, that's cool. Um, And so this is the final installment in the series, is that right? Correct, yeah. Okay. So you talked a little bit about your inspiration for the Codebreaker series. What about this particular book? Did it start with the character that you introduced in the second book? Or how did you get the idea for this plot?
1: When I was doing the research for the whole series, I read this book called um, Blinker Hall, Spy Master. Uh, Admiral Hall was the one in charge of Room 40. So when I read this at the start of the series, I just kind of took notes on anything that sounded interesting. And I was Mm -hmm. really intrigued by two mentions. Um, One was a very brief mention of a fake photograph that led to the end of the war. Like it was a, a major part in the end of hostilities. And I went, oh, you know, people who were, you know, photoshopping before Photoshop. I wonder who this was and how they did it. So that was my inspiration for Lily. Um, but okay. then the, the Russian cryptographer is actually based on a true story. Um, I did fictionalize him, gave him a new name, and took some liberties with his personal history. But it right. is based on a true, a true fellow named Ernst Federline, who was the head of Russian cryptography and fled Russia, came to England, and ended up not only working for Room 40, but founding Bletchley Park. So it was just too intriguing <laughs> not to use. Yeah. So I, I just kind of kept those in my back pocket and knew I would use them in book three. So.
0: Okay, cool. So, what drew you to this particular time period? I, I think you have a lot of books set in this time period. So. <laughs> I <do> now, yeah. <laughs> Hilariously, I knew
1: nothing about World War One, nothing about the Edwardian period, um, until you know when Downton Abbey got huge years ago. Right. Um, my. Agent actually said, "Hey, everyone's wanting Edwardian fiction. Do you have anything?" And I didn't, but I had a Victorian that I could rewrite. Um, uh, so okay. I had not even watched Out and at that point in time. I sat down and binged the first season, just kind of as research, you know, love right. to get to all that research. <laughs> thinking, what do these people want? Oh, um, best so job then ever. That's how I ended up with the Lost Heiress and that series. Okay. And that I, series started in 1910 and went through 1913.
0: Yeah, I read and *The Lost heiress, heiress* and I loved it. So yeah,
1: thank you. Well, that I realized that that series left me months before the start of World War One. So I was like, oh well, huh, maybe I should just start paying attention to that. <laughs> right. So yeah, so I just kind of kept going forward chronologically, and mm-hmm. uh, went all the way through the end of the war here with the, um, *A Portrait of Loyalty*, and then we decided that was enough war. So my next series is going to go back to 1906 and I get to just focus on fun stuff and not, not any battles and air raids for a while.
0: That's good. Can you tell us any more about your next series or just that it's set in 1906?
1: Sure. It's um, secrets of the Isles is what the series title is called. And book one is the nature of a lady. Um, So it's about a, a young lady she's the sister of an earl um, but she's a, a naturalist so she's interested in biology both you know flora and fauna and mm-hmm. ends up going to the isles of Scilly for the summer these are a group of islands 25-ish miles off the coast of cornwall beautiful okay. beautiful islands and um, so there she stumbles into some mistaken identity issues and we have um, hunts for pirate treasure because the Isles of Scilly were a big pirate stronghold through the years. And um, we have a hero who is actually the, the vicar at um, the main church on one of the islands, but okay. also a, a botanist and um, oh. has a, a local rival. So we have all that fun stuff. It, it was super fun. I had a blast writing it.
0: And are you interested in naturalism or botany or those things too? Is... <laughs> no. <laughs> <Not> no. no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> no um, my, my mother-in-law is we live right down the, the driveway from her and as a homeschool mom i've had to teach it which is fun but i right. have a particular passion for it but much like with all my characters they get to be interested in things that i have nothing to do with personally
0: yeah you get to live different lives through them right
1: right yeah i just experience their interest vicariously Mm-hmm.
0: so um all these books set in England or around England. Have you traveled to those locations?
1: I, I did get to once. Yeah. Um, for It was actually for our 15th anniversary. My husband and I decided we would take a big trip and we took our kids with us because, you know, we can't go to England without the kids. <laughs> <laughs> so very romantic, right? Um, right. So we went, this was actually um, when the Shadows Over England series was in edits still, and okay. uh, I was actually there when the third book in the Ladies of the Manor series released. Um, mm-hmm. So we went to the places where book three in the Ladies of the Manor series and book one in the Shadows Over England series were set. So we went to the Cotswolds, and then we went down to Cornwall and just kind of got to explore. And I realized all the things I had done wrong, like I didn't have nearly <laughs> enough sheep in these oh. books. It was just wrong. And I had far too many trees in Cornwall. So I had to go in and edit some of the trees out. Um, but yeah, it was awesome to get to, to visit there. And we had hoped yeah. to get to, to visit the Sillies, the, the Isles of Silly, before this next book um, comes out. But then, you know, global pandemic, everything shuts down. The I know. It in, so it's like, okay, YouTube tours it is.
0: Right, It's hard to get into Europe right now from the oh, U.S. That's yeah, very We nice. had to cancel a trip as well. So it's a... Uh,
1: yep out it's a bummer
0: but what do you do right hopefully in the future <laughs> yeah. open up again <laughs> what else, what other kinds of things do you do for research i mean reading but can you tell us a little bit about what the research process was like sure. for you
1: um there, there is obviously a lot of reading i usually start by getting books from the library and seeing which ones i actually like and then buying them um mm-hmm. i also do a lot of of YouTube research, because uh, I found that if I can watch a video of something, it's it's a lot better for me than just looking at still pictures or reading descriptions of it. So right. I like to take YouTube tours <laughs> of anywhere that I'm <laughs> writing about. Um, Google Maps has proved insanely helpful because, um, especially with the street views, yeah. I can just walk along whatever street I want. So that's yes. really awesome. That's coming very handy. I love that feature too. Yeah, it's great. Especially, it wasn't very helpful writing biblical fiction because not the same room. But for writing something that was, you know, a hundred years ago, this isn't so bad. So that's, yeah, yeah that's really helpful. And um, yeah, experts are, are very helpful. I have found that there are a ton of small museums, especially in England, every village has a museum. And if you can get in touch with them and ask questions of um, the curators, they are so eager to help. So, oh, wow. you Because know, this is their passion. Right. So you can ask them questions, and they go out of their way to be helpful. Uh, when I was writing book two in this series on Wings of Devotion, I needed to know something about pensions. So I got in touch with this fellow who... Had the pension books from World War One just sitting in his museum, and he went and took pictures of them of all the different pages for me, and sent them to me so I could see the answers to my question. And it was just, oh, wow. you know, so that's awesome great that people are willing to go out of their way to help. But they are because they love this stuff, and when you show interest in it, they're so excited to get to right talk they're, to someone about it.
0: So. They're glad somebody else is interested exactly. in it and and bringing attention to it too. Um, so for this book, A Portrait of Loyalty, can you share, is there anything you learned in your research that didn't get into the book that you can share with us?
1: Oh, there's always so much, especially <laughs> because this one has a Russian hero and yeah. my antagonists are also both Russians. So okay. there's that whole thing, you know, the, the whole revolution, the introduction of socialism and communism, which I could only show a slice of, um, otherwise it could take over the book. <laughs> but, right. So there was a lot I learned that I, I just couldn't quite work in about that movement. Um, but, you know, it just kind of colors the background and gives you the backdrop. So that was cool. Sure. And um, yeah, the The propaganda in, in England, I had looked up a lot of that because mm. um, I have my heroine's father is, is one of the people in charge of propaganda. So when I look at all the different methods they used it was just crazy so again i could only put a little bit in here and there some of the posters and stuff but knowing how they employed artists and novelists and and just all these different people all these different walks of life like for propaganda this is before propaganda had a negative connotation Um, right but you know this is what they were doing this was their total war they were Basically, convincing everyone that every aspect of their lives ought to be part of the war effort. So it was uh-huh. really interesting to learn about.
0: Um, so, what are you hoping? What's your like purpose in in writing this book? What What are you hoping readers will get from it?
1: Well, through the editing process and the, the rewriting process, a theme that I really hit on and tried to draw out was that. Sometimes it isn't even just a matter of forgiving people who have hurt you, um, especially if you're dealing with an enemy who is an entire political party or, you know, a big movement that has hurt you. You know, how do you forgive? And it becomes more a question even of not just forgiving them, but how do you want to salvation for the souls of the people who have hurt you above Mm. justice for yourself so that's a question that Zivin has to ask a lot (laughs) and uh, yeah it's his big his big thing to wrestle with in the book and um Lily then then has to deal with some things from the Spanish flu and her own past that that come up too so you know it just kind of begs the question of how do you how do you fight a movement you know what do you do when an enemy seems so huge, it's not just, you know, a neighbor or a friend or a family member who hurt you, but this entire group of people. Um, so yeah, so big, big question. We like to tackle big questions. Right.
0: <laughs> That's good. That's great. What would you say your purpose is in writing historical fiction? Why, why do you write it?
1: But it's always been my passion. I've just always been so intrigued by history. And, mm-hmm. um, can't help but see stories in all the history I learn.
0: Right. Um,
1: but then particularly because when when you're telling a contemporary story things can feel too close. Like if someone were to write a story about the COVID-19 pandemic, people would be like, "Oh, don't even want to deal with it." Um, right. But when we take that step away and you're looking back at history, you you can have just enough distance that you can absorb the lessons in it without feeling like someone's slapping you in the face. (laughs) And, um, I, I, there's this quote, I don't know who said it, but that history doesn't repeat it echoes. And I think that Mm. is so true. And especially between world war one and today, there are so many echoes even down to the pandemic. Right. And these big political and society movements and you know, the fight for rights and all this stuff. So there are such strong echoes. And when we can look back and see the lessons our ancestors learned, sometimes it's a lot easier to then see the way forward, because we can see what they did, and where they made mistakes, and where they had successes. And you can kind of extrapolate from that what may be a wise choice for us to make.
0: Right. That Actually, I think you kind of answered this question. But um we'll see if you have a different answer, but how do you think learning about history helps us approach life in the present?
1: I don't know if I have a different answer, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it just helps us learn lessons from step removed. And then, uh, cause you can then already yeah. see the consequences from earlier, earlier steps. Right. So it kind of gives you a perspective that you can't have on present day stuff.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned that you're a homeschooling mom. So you homeschool your children. You work with your husband at Whitefire Publishing. Is that right? That's correct. And um, you edit, you design book covers, and you're a prolific writer. Am I correct in saying that you've yeah. written 20? Is this your 24th book published?
1: Um, well, I just turned in book 25. So... <laughs>
0: So you've written uh, 25 books. So how do you fit? You probably get this question a lot, but how do you fit everything in? What is your life like every day?
1: I I neglect the housework. (laughs) That's my secret. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, So basically the the actual secret is um, scheduling and prioritizing. So Mm -hmm. while I am a terribly disorganized person, again, if you look at my house, um, I am fairly organized with my time and, there are times that are, are sacred. I like to say so. First thing in the morning, from five thirty to seven thirty, is sacred writing time. That's what I do. Uh, okay. Get up during this time. You can come out to the kitchen where I'm working, but you're not supposed to talk to me. <laughs> they still do, but uh, and, yeah. and also, you know, then I do take one day a week and work somewhere else. I work over at our office uh, so that I have hours when. No one can interrupt me. That's that's pretty important too, um, right? But otherwise, you know, we have school time. It's a set time a day, and then you know, afternoons are editing and book cover time. And you know, I, I just have set times a day that are for certain tasks.
0: Mm-hmm. To finish up, I wanted to know who your favorite historical fiction author is.
1: Oh gosh. I, I know have my <laughs> oh my um, so you know I love Laurie Benton and Laura France and um, I'm gonna forget like half of my favorites because I didn't write them down um, but Stephanie Morrill has some great YA historical as does Dina Slayman um, right. I love you know Susan Meisner tends to do time split and so does yes. Thompson, and they're both fabulous and Wingate similarly, and there are are so many. I should have just like gone and looked at my shelves because they're awesome. (laughs) I love them all. (laughs) Yeah, I read so many. Um, yeah, so lots and lots and lots,
0: right? And can you pick one of the best historical novels that you've read this year?
1: I I might have to vote for, for Jocelyn Green's new series. Um, I, we read Veiled and Smoke with my book club, and then I actually got to read um, book two, Shadows of the White City, for endorsement, um, and they were both nice. fabulous. So
0: that, I, was, that was really awesome. I have her, her books on my TBR, and I I need to get to them. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I've heard good things.
1: Yeah, she's pretty awesome. And then I also just read, I'm, I'm behind the times, I read Camille ID memoir of Johnny divine just a couple weeks ago. And it was just amazing. So very, very worthy of all the good press that I got when it came out.
0: Nice. Okay. Okay. Well, this is, was a great conversation. I'm excited to read your new book. I want to catch up on all the Codebreakers books now and make sure I read that whole series. Um uh, where can listeners buy that book or where can they find you online?
1: You can get my books pretty much anywhere. Um, they're, they're occasionally, even in real stores, if you have a real Awesome. Store, which high towns not. Um, but you can also buy um, signed copies directly from me at rosannamlight.com. Just go to slash shop or click the shop tab, and I have all my books um, available there. You can get them signed. So obviously, I encourage you to go to my store. Of course. Um, <laughs> and you can get in touch with me through my website or just at rosanna at rosannawhite.com, or through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I'm everywhere. I'm very easy to get in touch with.
0: Good. Okay, Rosanna, thank you so much for joining me today. And um, I'm sure everybody's excited to read your new book and check out your other fiction if they haven't already.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was fun.
0: So there you have it, guys. Episode one is in the books. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I love talking to Rosanna. I just wanted to mention a few things in this outro about um, our conversation. She mentioned a quote, and I looked it up to find out who actually said it. So the quote is, history rarely repeats itself, but its echoes never go away. That quote is attributed to Tariq Ali, He's a British political activist, writer, journalist, historian, and filmmaker. Another thing I wanted to clarify is something I mentioned in this episode that I know I'm going to say in other episodes in the future, and that is TBR. Um, that's just short for to be read. When, If you're on Goodreads, which I'm sure many of you are, you have a list of books that you want to read, and lots of people just use TBR as shorthand for that list. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be great if you could hit subscribe to Historical Fiction Unpacked, and also leave a rating and review. That would help me out a lot. So guys, if you want to find me online, I'm at allisontreat.com. That's Allison with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T.com. And you guys, while you're there, make sure you sign up for my newsletter where you will learn not just what's happening with the podcast, but also what's going on with my writing. And you can kind of just keep updated on things there. I don't send out a newsletter very often. It's usually once a month. So guys, thanks for listening today and keep reading historical fiction. You know, George Santayana might disagree a little bit with Tariq Ali, He said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it.